I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You ready, Jim, for your, for your big moment? <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the first of a new type of show we're going to call Quick Fixes. This Quick Fix is from... How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Richard, you and our producer Miranda Schaefer just got back from Podcast Movement, a big convention of podcasters from all over. So I want to ask you a few questions about it and really dedicate this show not to interviewing a guest, but I'm going to interview you. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if I have anything to say. (laughs) Well, tell us why you went to Podcast Movement. What is it? And then we're going to pull out some deep and profound insights about the podcast world. Podcast Movement is an annual gathering of podcasters, and that includes everybody from hobbyists who really started podcasting many years ago, right up to radio station executives who have a lot of money and are thinking about going into podcasting. So it includes all types of people, but it is a gathering to celebrate and to promote and to organize podcasting as an industry. What did you learn at the convention about what is making podcasts popular right now? There are more than 550,000 podcasts that current, sounds like currently too many. on iTunes. <laughs> it, it, it is too many. And that's, and that's more than the number of movies on the IMDb movie database. Right. So, well, a podcast costs a lot less to make than a movie, that's that, for sure. That, that's so true. So among the reasons why podcasts are so popular, they're human. They're from the heart. They're usually made by someone who's passionate about telling a story. And we've, we've always had, ever since human beings existed, audio storytelling. Now, you've worked in what's now known as traditional media as a radio news anchor. I've worked in traditional journalism as a magazine editor. And in both those fields, the way the content's organized is very different from what is usually done in a podcast. If somebody who's been on both sides of that divide, how does it feel different to you? Well, one of the things is that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end with a podcast. You can be reasonably sure that people start at the beginning, whereas with radio, you're constantly having to remind people who you are, where you are, and radio is typically programmed in 15-minute segments. Right, right. Very often in magazines, people dive into the middle of a story, they read part of it, maybe they look at the pictures and read captions, or you know, or they do what I do when I read The New Yorker is I read the cartoons. So part of what's going on with podcasts is, is the way they're consumed, is that, is that most people listen to a podcast when he or she is away from a screen and is not distracted by 
emails or text messages, other stuff. You're, maybe, you're, maybe you're walking your dog in the park or you're at the gym or you're cooking in the kitchen. You're on your own and you can devote a large part of your brain right. to a podcast. Right. So why are they important? They're important because they are authentic. And I think they're important as well because they are serving communities that have not been served in the past. Like who? Well, like kids. One of the things I learned at Podcast Movement is that there are a whole series of kids' podcasts that are becoming increasingly popular. Really? I didn't know there's, that. That's, yeah, really, there, that's really there's cool. There's a show called Wow in the World that is produced by, by Public Radio. There's something called Book Club for Kids, which talks about a children's book every week and, and includes responses from, from kids to it. And in fact, kids often lead the podcast. Then we also met millennial moms who were making podcasts. There was Beth, Camille, and Andrea doing a show about raising kids called Family Looking Up. And they came with, I think it's Beth's two-month-old baby boy. So they're making a podcast. So I think that at their best, podcasts are being made by and for communities that are not served by mass market broadcasters. Mm -hmm. And that makes them more intimate and hopefully more authentic. Now, despite all this explosion, still, most people in the country aren't listening to podcasts. You know, we're trying to change that here. How do we fix it? Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that hold them back? Why aren't people just automatically queuing up a podcast when they're going for a drive or they're walking the dog? Yeah. Podcasts are no longer niche. And the number is going up every year. But it's still only about one in five people in America who listen to podcasts, which means that four out of five don't listen. And I think one reason why they don't listen is because it's not that simple. Uh, there's this horrible word, discoverability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that they're not easy for a lot of people to discover. According to Edison Research, which has done a lot of deep research on podcasting, they say that 48% of non-podcast listeners, so that's, that's most people, weren't sure how to find one. Uh, and, and a similar number said that subscribing to a podcast costs money, and we're free. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> and 80% of these non-podcast listeners said they don't have a podcast app on their phone. And all Apple phones come with a podcast app. And many Androids do too. But it's not obvious for them. It's not clear for them. Right. It's not as easy as it should be to discover podcasts. And it's not as easy as it should be to, you know, Get started. That's a problem for the industry that it has failed to address so far. So I want to talk about something that we talk about a lot here at How Do We Fix It, which is a better way to have conversations in our country. We certainly try to model the idea that people can have honest conversations and disagree with each other. And the podcast format seems to really lend itself to that. Am I being just a total utopian if I think that podcasts maybe can play a role in changing the nature of the discourse in our country, which it seems so coarse and divisive on the national level? By their nature, podcasts I don't think are angry or rude, usually, because they're fairly intimate and because you don't listen to any, you involved. don't listen to sports podcasts. <laughs> That's true. I don't. But well, what I mean is, I, I don't think they're nasty usually, right? Um, because I don't think there are people shouting at you from a remote place. Because 
so many people listen to podcasts, you know, their earbuds. I think it's usually a more intimate conversation. They've been called by one podcast firm, Movies of the Mind. I think they do encourage people to imagine something rather than just merely react to something. They're less passive, perhaps, than television. Is there any hope to the idea that podcasts could be part of broadening people's minds, exposing them to different kinds of ideas, or does your selection of podcasts just reinforce your filter bubble? Yeah, I think that it, the, 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 the second thing may be true. They they could reinforce your filter bubble because there are so many podcasts you, you pick based on what you like. Right. So I want to ask the listeners, what works for you in podcasts? Our email address is on our website. You can leave comments there. Or Twitter is a great place to engage. Both Richard and I and our producer Miranda are all pretty active and love to hear people's thoughts and really get into a discussion. So the website is howdowefixit.me. And we're on Twitter at fixitshow. And we're also on Instagram, howdowefixit. So what's the future for podcasting? What are the opportunities that are in front of podcasters like us? Among the biggest, nearly one in five Americans, that's, I think it's 48 million people now own a smart speaker. That's the fastest form of electronic device since smartphones took off. So there's been a remarkable rise in the number of people with smart speakers. Smart speakers where you can ask the speaker, say, hey, Alexa, play How Do We Fix It podcast. For instance, that may change the way many people listen to podcasts because instead of doing it on their own, either with earbuds or sitting and listening to their laptop or being in the car, they could be listening with other people in the room. So that could lead, I think, to two trends. One, more games, more quizzes, um, Mm. and two, shorter episodes where there are like flash podcast episodes that may only run four or five minutes. The more convenient it is to listen to a podcast, the greater the audience will be. So it's both an opportunity, but also a challenge for podcasters in that it may change what is successful. Another big change, another big opportunity is Google Podcasts. This is a new app that'll be available on Androids and may be available on all Android phones shortly that could greatly increase the audience for podcasts because most people who listen today are on Apple devices. So how does it work? It works like the Apple podcast device, although I don't have an Android, so I haven't seen it, but it may actually be a better application than Apple podcasts because Google is the king of search and they may make it easier to search a podcast than uh, than the Apple app does. Which is certainly be great. I mean, right now it's a little bit of a challenge to search podcasts and there's not a lot of organization to the search process. But you think there's also a potential downside to this because of, of, of the giant Google. Well, I'm going to put on my Debbie Downer hat. Um, Every business that Google has touched, they figured out how to suck all the money out of it. So coming up high in Google search rankings is a wonderful thing. If you're a newspaper, you want your stories to be at the top of searches for that particular topic. But at the same time, 
the newspaper advertising doesn't go up that much. Google's managed to siphon off all the ad money. So um, you think that could happen to podcasts, that, that Google could siphon off a huge amount of the yeah, advertising I, revenue or, that would otherwise go to podcasters? Yeah, or to be really paranoid, even siphon off part of the audio. If you look at how Google handled weather, there were a number of pretty good weather websites. They invested a lot of money in predicting the weather. Next thing you know, Google's figured out how to just scrape the daily weather forecast, and often that's enough. So you don't even have to click through to weather.com or Weather Underground or whoever. Google found a way to satisfy that need to know what the weather is, and then they make all the advertising revenue off of that. Again, not to be super paranoid, but they're masters at saying, we're not only going to help you find the content you're looking for, we're going to make sure that we're the ones who make the money off that content. So I think the future is that podcasts will be easier to discover. More people will find podcasts. But less profitable. (laughs) Perhaps less profitable. And also, I think the nature of many podcasts may change. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's so wonderful about this whole field is just how narrow-casted these podcasts can be. Miranda was talking about one podcaster she met at the convention who does a podcast on pastured poultry. Yeah, free-range poultry. But that's even more specific than that. <laughs> this is a movement that has its adherence, and it's wonderful that people who are interested in that can tune into a podcast that's specifically dialed into that. And, and something called, yeah, this scaled intimacy idea that it's, that it's not just serving an audience in the way that maybe a radio station might, but that it's one person speaking passionately about a subject that she finds interesting that you might also find interesting. It's it's that one-to-one intimate connection. Yeah, I really think that there's something about the way a lot of good podcasts are produced that really enhances that sense of intimacy. As you know, I'm really interested in the history of music. I think some of the early success of country and folk music on the radio, like the Carter family, when they first emerged in the 1920s, was this sense that they were singing directly to you from this little studio, and it didn't feel like a big corporate, highly produced function. And I think a lot of podcasts I listen to today have that sense of they're well-produced. The audio quality does need to be good, but you don't need to get the sense that this is coming to you from some massive broadcast establishment. Hopefully that will stay. I think that's both the, the, the opportunity and, and the worry. The opportunity being that we'll find new communities and new voices, especially you know marginalized communities right, will right. find each other. That's the opportunity. But the worry is that, that a lot of money from major broadcasters and, and new podcast companies will make it all too slick and professional. Well, you know, in the early days of the blog revolution, in the early aughts, I was very much of the belief that this would really change the world. Everybody could be a publisher. Everybody could start their own blog. They could get their voices out there. They could build an audience. And that truly happened for a while. And had, I think it had a very positive effect on journalism. But in that area, you did see the big digital giants gradually take over. And the ability to get traffic to your little blog, it really gradually went away in the era of Facebook and Google became the mediators of all content. Boy, I'm really in the Debbie Downer. Yeah, uh, uh, with that depressing note from Jim. <laughs> that's so, that's our quick fix st- for this week. Stand with us. Keep podcasts <laughs> local. <laughs> 
It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We are a production of Davies Content. Check out more of our podcasts at DaviesContent.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.